episode of the William Branham Historical Research Podcast. I'm your host, John Collins, the author and founder of William Branham Historical Research at william-branham.org. And with me, I have my co-host, researcher, minister, and friend, Charles Paisley, the founder of ChristianGospelChurch.org. And together, we're examining the history and the intersections in history between William Branham and other key figures that either influenced or were influenced by the post-World War II healing revivals. Charles, I'm so excited to continue the Jones investigation that we're doing. And you and I talked beforehand, and we both kind of agreed that this will probably be the most fun episode for us. Um, usually we stick with the historical facts and the, um, you know, the progression of all of the various influences on William Branham and the Healing Revivals. <clears throat> and we try to separate that a bit from the doctrinal positions of the men, just so that we can examine the histories. But today, this particular investigation actually requires us to dig deep into the doctrinal positions of the men. And I am about to unleash the Charles on Jim Jones. <laughs> yeah, John, I, I have also really been looking forward to um, recording today's episode. And, you know, for me, John, the the most interesting aspect of all of this to me, and, and honestly, the main central reasons that I even started digging into all of this was to figure out where in the world did the stuff we believed in the message came from. You know, William Branham told us he got it from God. Turns out that wasn't true. <laughs> he got it from other men who may have got it from God or may not have got it from God, but he did not get this stuff directly from God. He copied every stitch of what he taught from other people. Every last stitch of what he taught is copied from other people. There is nothing unique. And these, idea these ideas evolve over time. They do. These doctrines and concepts evolve over time. And there's a point in time in which Jim Jones intersected with Latter Rain Movement um, and, and took up some of these teachings and doctrines himself. And, you know, as we said in the last several episodes, or the last one anyways, Jim Jones was a Latter Rain preacher. And Jim Jones and William Branham and Joseph Matson Bose were all working together, holding revivals together in 1955, 1956, 1957, you know. They were traveling around holding meetings, revivals in multiple states, and all working together. And there's a significant amount of overlap in their ideologies. And the ideas that Jim Jones learned in Latter Rain and what we'll go over in this episode, at least some of them, they form uh, some of the key pillars of the ideology of People's Temple. And in this episode, we do just want to take a little time to explore how Jim Jones was influenced by and implemented some of these latter rain um, message ideas at People's Temple. And we'll be using some quotes from Jim Jones in this episode, too. And if you want to find full transcripts of the Jim Jones sermons, you can go to the Jonestown Institute website, and you'll find full transcripts of all of Jim Jones' uh, known sermons on that website you can look you can you can listen to jim jones sermons themselves and the truth is there's quite a substantial number of jim jones sermons you could preach in any message church and the average message church the people would be shouting and saying amen all the way through his <laughs> sermons exactly and interestingly enough charles i'm actually going to recommend the cult website today voice of god recordings which is the headquarters for the main sect of the message which is the cult following the cult of personality that has formed around william branham they have 
put all of the transcripts that were allowed to hear of William Branham with their edits, etc., their blank spots in tape, <clears throat> but they're searchable online at table.branham.org. And I'm going to be honest, Charles, this was a huge, huge help in me coming out of the message and escaping. If you actually read what the man says and not just read it, but you know, there is a deep level of programming and unfortunately brainwashing that comes with listening to the recordings. And when you hear the voice, and in fact, they'll tell you, hear the voice, play the tape, hear the voice. They, they push this. When you're manipulated into doing so, your mind almost shuts off and you become in this weird state of slumber where you're just taking everything in. You really don't catch half of what is said. But when they published their, their um, they call it the table, when they published the software, and I was, <laughs> like many message believers, the good ones, we, we constantly poured over this stuff, right? So... I, I remember one of my first uh, programming jobs. We had a, I had helped hire a person who was in the message, and he was constantly looking at the table on his computer at work. And I mean, this is the way it was, man. If you're in the cult of personality, you're constantly pouring over it. Well, at work, you don't play the recordings for the most part because you have to listen to your people, your coworkers. So when they published the software, and I could easily search and read, this was actually a key component of me leaving the cult of personality. So highly recommend the website, table.branham.org, uh, especially if you are in the message and you're thinking about escaping. <laughs> read the material, man. Read what the man says. If you're uh, out there and you want to investigate William Branham, I would highly discourage you from listening to the audio recordings. Use the text. These audio recordings are dangerous. They can train brainwashing, hypnotic stuff in them. They absolutely do. It's been, you know, universities have studied it and, and even came out with it. Don't listen to the tapes. Read the transcripts. It's actually documented. It it does contain elements of neuro-linguistic programming is the scientific term for what is on this. And interestingly, it's the same thing that Hitler did in his speeches, right? <clears throat> and I have actually, I've come onto fire a little bit bef because of this, but one of the strategies that I have, and I'm giving out some secrets, Charles, uh, over the past decade, I have published a lot of recordings of William Branham that have the voice because I want to hone in on some horrific things that the man said and also some conflicting things. But the problem is people who were in the cult and come across it, they'll go into this hypnotic state of slumber and just not listen to it. And one of the things that I learned that I could do early on is to play this obnoxious music in the background. And your mind can't do both. It can't be hypnotized and listen to this obnoxious music so that's why you hear uh, there's one of them even charles i've got the banjo and <laughs> this crazy banjo riff and people i i got comments why are you doing this well there actually was a strategy behind my doing it but highly recommend table.branham.org and um like I say, I'm just so excited because we're getting into some really fun stuff yeah. with this episode. Yeah. So starting out, um, 
you know, one thing that a lot of people find very odd about Jim Jones, and I feel like we got to tackle this first because it's the most, it seems like the most obvious difference between Jim Jones and the message is Jim Jones was a communist. And during the years he was working with William Branham, he was a secret communist, um, kind of like William Branham was perhaps a secret white supremacist. <laughs> they didn't know uh, these things about each other at first, but them finding these things out about each other, um, as we go on, we'll find out this actually led to them breaking up somewhat. But uh, a lot of the documentaries out there focus on the communist aspect of Jim Jones' teachings, and they miss the latter rain side of things because they're so focused on the communist aspect. Um, but Jim Jones implemented um, a, a communal lifestyle among his followers at People's Temple. But as we start to go through this, I think it's really important to point out that a communal lifestyle, um, just like the one Jim Jones implemented, it, that actually works within the framework of the Latter Rain movement. A communal lifestyle and Latter Rain teachings are perfectly compatible, and in fact, there are a significant number of other Latter Rain groups that did very similar things. Um, the Latter Rain, at its at its core, is a restoration restorationist movement, and they wanted to go back and reenact and reinstitute what they thought were the practices of the early church. And one of the practices of the early church in Jerusalem was that they held all things in common and they lived in a communal lifestyle. And you can actually find um, Jim Jones speaking to this in his very oldest um, sermons that are, were even published in Herald of Faith, right? Like this, this was, these concepts, the roots of these concepts were in the early Latter Rain movement when Jim Jones was still part of it. And his views on living a communal lifestyle um, can be credited to the latter reign just as much honestly as anything else. Um, and in that way, like when you read it, you know, what Jim Jones alludes to in his sermons there, um, he he calls the living a communal lifestyle living an apostolic lifestyle. And in that way, he's connecting his views of this lifestyle to restorationism. So he's he's doing this communist lifestyle within the frame restorationist framework of latter rain. And Jim Jones implemented a lifestyle where everyone paid all of their income into a common pot of money that he and his lieutenants controlled, and then they distributed out to everyone and provided housing or food to them. And again, that all fits in that latter rain restorationist framework. And Jim Jones is not the only one who did that. Paul Schaefer did that. Sam Fife did that in The Move. John Robert Stevens did that in The Walk. You know, there's a large number of people who were influenced by Latter Rain who implemented varying degrees of a communal lifestyle. There's even groups um, descended from the Latter Rain who are still doing that to this very day. Even some message sects live in communal lifestyles, John. And so I especially want to point out that living a communal lifestyle, that itself is not something unique to People's Temple. Some of the other latter rain groups did the exact same thing, and there's actually other groups who implemented an even more extreme form than Jim Jones and People's Temple did. And what's interesting, Charles, when you look at the cult of personality that exists today, and you look at the various splinter groups that evolved from it, you would never think that this was a thing with William Branham. You would say, there's no way. The, the people don't live like this. This is not the way that William Branham wanted it to be. However, there was a period of time before 1977, which was William Branham's 
famous failed doomsday prediction, the one that got remembered of all of his many various doomsday predictions. Before 1977, people in the message, cult falling of William Branham, which at that period of time, Charles, was really, it was the latter rain, but it went into an extremist view of latter rain. During this point of time, this was a very common thing. This was actually more common than not. I remember my grandfather telling the story that um, my grandfather was not in favor of this. And I remember in the years after 1977, somebody approached him wondering why he's not like this anymore. And, you know, he said, the the guy said, we're supposed to give all that we have to the poor. And my grandfather's response was, well, brother, if we give everything we have to the poor, then I become the poor. (laughs) And so there was a point in time after 1977 that this shifted, but this was a very, very common thing. And what's interesting as it relates to this episode, I'll never have the answer to this. I still... To this day, I still compare sermons of Jim Jones through the uh, jonestown.sdsu.edu website and the table, table table.branham.org, to compare because I want to know which was influencing, which person was influencing which. And it's a very complex, um, you know, both men are very complex, but their connection is very complex as well. In these cults of personality, and even to some extent, some Christian religion in general, you take a view of a person and you think that view is static. Whatever this person believes, this is what they did believe, this is what they will always believe, because that's their quote-unquote hardcore set of values. And with Jim Jones and William Branham, neither man continued the same core set of values. Both of them diverged greatly from their core set of values. <clears throat> and Jim Jones was in latter rain before his connection to William Branham. He, like you said, was heavily into the communal lifestyle, the, the secret communism, as you if you will. William Branham was not that, but the two began working together. And there's a point in time, Charles, in which the union of their doctrinal beliefs in the recorded transcripts of William Branham become more frequent. So as I'm studying the analytics of this, the question I have is, did Jim Jones influence William Branham or did (laughs) William Branham influence Jim Jones? The conclusion that I've come to thus far is they both were influencing each other. I would agree with that because latter rain was everybody throwing something into the pot and if, if you could successfully throw something into the pot in latter rain and some people and it's stuck, well, then you're something, right? You're, you're, a, you're a big deal. And so there is no doubt things that Jim Jones threw into the pot um, that had some influence at some level on the overall latter rain movement. Um, so moving on to another doctrine. Um, so Jim Jones was a believer in several of the core distinctives of the Latter Rain movement. We wouldn't call living a communal lifestyle one of the core distinctives of Latter Rain, but it is something that, that a fair number of the groups did embrace. Um, but you can find the core distinctives of Latter Rain in Jim Jones' sermons. Um, and probably the most impactful Latter Rain teaching he adopted was the Manifested Sons of God theology. And 
if you remember back when we did our episodes on Manifested Sons of God and the Latter Rain, the fivefold ministry is the means within the framework of Latter Rain to get to Manifested Sons of God. And let me read here a, a quote, kind of just to show what Jim Jones does with these teachings um, and how he empowers himself with it. So here's one from tape Q1055-1. He says, The Bible will kill you if you don't have God within and don't have the fivefold ministry. He didn't say Bibles would bring you to perfection, but apostles, pastors, teachers, evangelists, they're necessary for the perfecting of the saints, the work of the ministry, the edifying of the body of Christ. We have to have those manifold gifts and manifold fruits of the Spirit. And how can we hear without a preacher? And how can we learn lest he be sent? And so what Jim Jones is saying there, John, is, is classic fivefold ministry manifested sons of God ideas that flowed out of the latter rain movement, right? He's setting up the fivefold ministry as the special class of leaders sent from God who are leading the people to be perfected and reach this special level of manifestation of Christ-likeness. That's what Jim Jones is, is doing there in that statement. That is one of the things, Charles, that began to clue me in that the two men had very intersecting teachings. Very, Their doctrines were intersecting because I began to notice Jim Jones preaching the latter, the latter rain version of the fivefold ministry. And... As you know, there are preachers in William Branham's cult of personality from coast to coast that teach the fivefold ministry. And at the time I began my research, I actually thought that came after William Branham's ministry, after his death, because William Branham does not really mention the fivefold ministry by name. But as I began to study, he is teaching it as early as I think 1953, and he's you know, he's clearly identifying the doctrine of fivefold ministry, and he's putting himself into the position of a prophet in the fivefold ministry. So we see William Branham using the doctrine, and we see Jim Jones using the doctrine at about the same time. I can't say that Jones directly influenced Branham in the doctrine, because, you know, this was common in latter rain. But what I can say is, as this began to be established as a core fundamental element of latter rain, both ministers at the same time were teaching it. Right, and it, it was a core distinctive of latter rain by 1950. Uh, and it the fivefold ministry was implemented in latter rain as the means to get to manifested sons of God. And from everything I have been able to determine from listening to all of the Sharon Orphanage elders and, and different things. It was, this concept was born at Sharon Orphanage and George Houghton was the key figure behind um, introducing the fivefold ministry teachings in Sharon Orphanage. Now the broader, the way that it grew as it's related to manifested sons of God, um, I think there may have been other men at North Battleford who helped put those pieces together, but the basic ideas of a restoration of the fivefold ministry, that is George Houghton's baby that started at Sharon Orphanage and spread from there. There, there was, There's nobody in the world who believed fivefold ministry in this way before uh, the stuff that happened at Sharon Orphanage. This is where this stuff comes from. And and every sect of the message, every single latter rain splinter group, they all have some variation of this fivefold ministry manifested sons of God theology. And the the extreme to which they take it varies 
But they all have this basic concept that the fivefold ministry is going to perfect the church and that then the people will reach this fullness of Christ and usher in the end time. And that all stems from the original teachings on this subject, which were first formulated in Latter Rain. And this is the vehicle that Latter Rain preachers like Jim Jones used to take absolute power over the people. Let me read one more quote here from Jim Jones. This is on tape um, Q1020. Jim Jones says, Not everyone can be in the hundredfold company immediately. We all come at varying times into our consciousness of Christ. But as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive, but every man after his own order. I have all nine gifts. I have each of the fivefold ministries manifested through me. I'm an apostle. I'm yet a pastor. I'm a teacher. I'm an evangelist. And I am certainly a prophet. So again, there, Jim Jones is demonstrating in that quote, what he's preaching there is manifested sons of God concepts he learned in latter reign. And he's preaching this stuff all through his ministry, right up to the very end. And this is the, the carrot on the stick, right? This is the promise um, that keeps the people following, this promise that you can all be like Christ, this promise of, of having these special gifts, these special manifestations. This is what keeps the people following. And the people following Jim Jones, they really believe that if they'll just obey him and submit to him, he has some special thing that is going to eventually empower them to be this also this hundredfold or this hundred percent manifestation of Jesus Christ with signs and wonders and miracles and gifts and so on. And that entire concept, again, is derived from the core distinctives of the latter rain movement. This did not exist anywhere in Christianity before the latter rain movement these ideas and william branham taught you know the exact same thing in his sermons like anointed ones at the end time um original seed is the spoken word stature of the perfect man right in the message we believe these exact same things from the exact same root we had a little bits different terminology here and there but this these are the exact same teachings that flowed out of latter rain that we believed in the message i think one of the key points to make here is whenever people are who have never been in this thing are looking at the fivefold ministry and they hear the apostles prophets teachers etc there it's a clear hierarchy right so you've got your rank and file members who cannot elevate themselves to this level then there's this hierarchy of leadership and that's really how the manipulation occurs through this hierarchy. The people feel that they're inferior to the fivefold ministry superiors. And then within that framework, there's a hierarchy of leadership and there are five. And <clears throat> when you hear the terms apostles, prophets, etc., the normal Christian is going to think, OK, the apostle must be at the top of the hierarchy. Because we have the apostles, Paul and Peter, and we have the New Testament, and that is the gospel. That's us. That's, you know, we're, we're following the new covenant. That's how a Christian would interpret that hierarchy. But William Branham flipped it upside down because he's also teaching old covenant law. There is no real concept of the old covenant being done away and the new covenant of grace being established within the framework of William Branham's doctrinal teachings. Um, he, for example, uses Moses as, as the example. He said Moses was a prophet and Moses was the high priest to the people. And so he gives the example of the, the prophet leadership and within the framework of the message and 
by extension, the frameworks of latter rain. This means that the prophet is the supreme authority. He's the one receiving the word from God, so he must be the highest in rank. And the people who are listening to the prophet, many of them become enthralled with this <laughs> this this rank and they they become you know they they put him on a pedestal even higher than he should be to the extent that you'll find ministers who refer to William Branham and also even Jim Jones that they are the prophet god or they are the you know the supreme prophet some will call William Branham he's the word prophet he's the one who's bringing the end time word <clears throat> that is because the prophet is at the top of this hierarchy I, I think what William Branham tended to do was he he kind of in 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 his take on fivefold ministry he kind of merged the idea that apostle prophet is kind of the same thing um, like he would he would call the apostle Paul a prophet right like he he kind of merged these two to be one and the same in in, in some sense um, and you know what what Jim Jones is saying here in in his sermons and and stemming from those quotes that I read from him, is that this is very ideologically close to what a lot of people refer to as the last days revival. Um, my church called it the bride's revival. Um, other sects of the message, uh, you know, I've heard it referred to as the third pull, you know, in message parlance. But different groups from descended from latter rain have different terminology for describing this this thing at the last days. But at the most basic level, all most all the groups descended from latter rain ideology believe in this coming great last days revival that will empower the church with signs and wonders and miracles and this will coincide with the end of days and the coming of the heavenly kingdom right like this is all flowing out of latter rain this is flowing out of manifested sons of god um, this is what manifested sons of god will bring about and and the idea of that great last days revival that flows out of manifested sons of God ideology, that developed in latter rain. And that is what's uh, supposed to happen when the people reach this final level of preparation or, or Christ-likeness or the fullness of Christ in the church and usher in the last days. And again, this is a very, very popular latter rain idea that spread very far and wide. And, you know, and of course, there's nothing wrong with having a revival, right? Most Christians would agree a revival is a good thing. But but this idea that there's going to be this massive sweeping revival at the end of days where the church becomes empowered like Christ on earth, um, I'm just pointing out that's what Jim Jones is building on here. And that is an idea that came from and developed within the early days of the latter rain movement. And, and Jim Jones is looking towards that fulfillment uh, with what he's saying here in these quotes. Yeah. And you also have to understand, and I'm, I'm no preacher, but I do read the Bible, and I read it a lot. <clears throat> uh, you have to understand that there are complete passages from especially the Old Testament, sometimes the New, but more often the Old Testament, that the leaders in this have really bastardized to try to join together the fivefold ministry, the restoration movement, with some of the other doctrines that we've talked about, such as the British Israel doctrine and, you know, etc. <clears throat> One of them that I find most astounding, you mentioned the bride, the bride revival, the bride restoration, etc. This was a concept that I studied heavily whenever I began 
to leave the message because I, I've read those passages that they have fully taken out of context. And I remember there was a point in time at which <clears throat> I read some of these passages and I was reading it with the mental state of being in this manipulation. And it said one thing. And then I want to say it was the very next day I was reading the same passage after my mind kind of snapped out of it. <clears throat> I read that same passage and it was completely opposite from what I'd read before. And I went back and I reread and reread. One of the biggest examples of this for me is Ezekiel 16. It talks about, it's literally talking about the bride. It's talking about Jerusalem is the bride. And I remember reading this passage from the framework of being out of the message and understanding this is literally describing the point of time in which the old covenant would fail. It basically doesn't mention Jesus by name, but Jesus is coming to his bride, which is Jerusalem. And it talks about you are the harlot and your sisters are harlots. And, you know, it's, it's basically if you take the anti-Catholicism, the mother of harlots, and you take the bride theology, the restoration theology, you've got Jerusalem. This one passage from the Bible <clears throat> was fully taken out of context to be reused for this framework of restorationism. And by extension, it leads into the fivefold ministry theology. And if you just read the passage, read entire chapter 16, you'll see that this in no way, shape, or form is talking about our day. It's talking about the time in which Jesus would return to, Jesus would come to earth. Yeah, yeah. A lot of the way that things work in the message in these latter rain groups is there is a lot of old covenant prophecies that get recycled and applied to the church. And that the roots of that go back to the days of British Israelism when they thought they were Israel, right? <laughs> so they could do that without any sort of logical fallacy, right? We are Israel, therefore we can apply the prophecies of Israel to ourselves. But of course, as time goes on and the British Israelism aspect dies, right, we still have these prophecies we're applying to ourselves, but we no longer think we're Israel. And But but we're, you know, our, our ideology has become so twisted we can't recognize that the dots no longer connect, right? So it's it there it it's amazing how that how that the ideology evolves and, and gradually over time can become inconsistent and the people don't notice the introductions of the inconsistencies. Um, yeah, it, it, it's very interesting. And so, um, you know, traditional and historic Christianity, kind of going back to that last day revival thing, they they tend to find the ideas of a last day revival to be you know, certainly in the latter rain sense, to be a little bit bizarre. Uh, but to people who are descended from churches in the latter rain, right, what Jim Jones is describing is a core distinctive of the latter rain movement. And those those latter rain movements were baked deeply into the beliefs of people's temple. Let me read one more Jim Jones quote on this topic from tape. Uh, this is from Q1025. Jim Jones says, Truly beloved, you can only see God here. If you have a heart to listen, eyes to look honestly, you can only be go behold God here. I do not require that you behold God in me. If you reproduce God to a, degrade, a greater degree by not seeing God in me and seeing it in yourself, then I'm happy for you. If you can sensitize yourself to a greater awareness of God without recognizing me as a personal minister of the fivefold heaven-sent order, then I'm glad for you. But in the meantime, if you haven't found all 
that you want of God, come, follow me as I follow Christ. Take up your cross as I take up mine. Let me speak in the person of Christ. As Paul said, what you forgive, I forgive also. Anything I bind, I bind also. Paul said, and I do it. Not in the name, not in a prayer, but in the person of Jesus Christ. I'm speaking in the office of the hundredfold ministry to those who need it. But if you're unfolding on your own behalf, I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for your aspirations and your manifestation. I do not require that you call me anything but Jim Jones. Just do the works of Christ. If you care to do the works of Christ, come and unite with me. So again, Jim Jones is presenting himself as this great minister of the fivefold ministry who had personally attained a hundredfold manifestation of Christ. All this works in the framework of the manifested sons of God theology, right? And, and what he's saying here is, I have achieved 100% Christ-likeness, right? This is exactly manifested sons of God theology. And Jim Jones is telling his followers that if you come follow me, I can show you how to be like Christ and become a manifested son of God too. And John, what makes me feel so sick, you know, my sect of the message, we believed a variation of manifested sons of God that was very, very similar to what Jim Jones is describing here. And William Branham was saying the exact same kind of things. You know, by the end of his life, William Branham was also saying he was a manifestation of Christ. Um, remember, he says, um, the Elijah of this day is the Lord Jesus Christ, right? He's claiming also to be one of these 100% manifestations of Jesus. And the whole message of they believe this in some fashion uh, that God was manifested in the ministry of William Branham. And and we all had this belief that there's this level that we were all going to get to, and there's different different groups had little different terminology for it, but we were going to reach the stature of a perfect man if you're in the thunders. Or other sects, we're going to get the rapturing faith, right? And have the, you know, like, every sect had little different parlance for this, but we all believe that through this fivefold ministry through this special word from William Branham that we were eventually all going to rise up and also become these manifested sons of God. And again, we all had different terminology for it, but we believed the same concept. And that phrase, little, <laughs> your manifestation, I started noticing that as I was reading this. The time, at the point in time in which I discovered this, <clears throat> I didn't fully understand the manifested sons of God theology, what it was and how destructive it was. But what is interesting about what you just said, there are psychological studies that exist on Jim Jones that display that even from an early childhood, he had psychological problems. And then by the point in time in which he becomes a Lateran Pentecostal message believer, he is showing greater signs of that internal conflict in his head. And then by the end of his life, he's completely off the rails. And those studies exist, you know, displaying the mental breakdown of a cult leader. There are countless studies of this. What's interesting is if you apply the same study to William Branham's ministry, you see the same elements. When William Branham first began his ministry, he was saying the same kind of things, but he was very tactful. He would not come out and say, you know, after convincing his cult following that he is Elijah, that Elijah is Jesus Christ, but he would insinuate to lead people to that conclusion. 
and he would use parallels like he would talk about you know the things that he's doing in his ministry then he would go off into this parallel in the bible about elijah and so people were led to the conclusion so he's doing this very deceitfully very tactfully and you cannot say that he outright called himself god it it did not happen at least in the early phases of his ministry but as his mental state began to break down that's when you start to see he can't control it as well and in the same way that Jim Jones can't control himself as well, both men began saying things that people, there was no question that they were saying that they were the manifestation of God through the manifested sons of God theology. Where it's interesting is Jones lived longer, and Jones, although William Branham had the same doctrinal teaching to some extent, Jones was giving the people power by saying, you also, your manifestation, I have a greater manifestation, you too have a manifestation. You can find this on his recordings. William Branham does things like, he says we're, how did he phrase it, little creators or little gods, miniature creators. When he's talking about his ability to speak squirrels into existence, he's saying you too can do this. And there's a large number of people in the message who try this kind of thing. That's the same framework of theology but it do, because William Branham dies in 1965, it doesn't progress to the state in which Jim Jones and his doctrinal teaching progressed. Right, and and the way manifested sons of God theology works, um, and and this can be confusing if you just listen to the the terminology, the way they the way it the way people talk about it, you know, that believe it. Um, but on on the back end, when, you know, when they say I'm I am this manifestation of God. They're not saying that God Almighty is not in heaven no more, right? Like there, there's still this. There is still God outside me, but there's, but God is in me also, and I am speaking as God. What I'm doing is also God, right? Like they're not saying when they say they're God, they're not saying I'm exclusively God, um, but they're saying I am a manifestation of Almighty God. You know, so it's not. Um, it's it's not quite the way I think some people take it when they hear them say it, right? Like William Branham was not saying I am I am the one and only God in heaven, and I'm right here talking. He's saying I'm a manifestation of God, and God's he's still in heaven, right? He's still the spirit, but he's in me and talking to you, right? And it's it's very very people outside of Christ, you know, outside of these groups. It's very weird, right? Like this is like you know convoluted nonsense right but inside of it we understand you know he's not saying i am literally god almighty the one and only but he's saying i am a voice of god I, god is in me i am god's agent to you in this moment you know it's funny because we'll and i'm certain we're going to see it in the comment feeds people who are manipulated in this mindset are going to say but the bible says you are gods right but the difference is charles Normal Christianity um, understands that that is not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal in normal Christianity is love. Love your neighbor as yourself. And to understand that Jesus is the one who is empowering us because of what he did, not because what he's going to enable us to do. That's the difference between the two. Within the framework of a destructive cult, 
they give you this carrot on the stick that you too can empower yourself to achieve something. And people become hyper-focused on achieving the something, whatever it is, that they lose complete sight of the broader picture of, you know, in a, in a Christian cult, they lose the broader picture of the gospel, for example. And that's why you don't see the gospel teached very much within the circles of the message cult following. Instead, you see this manifested sons of God theology taught. Right. You know, the, when, when normal Christianity, so normal Christianity believes in being like Jesus, right? Like, let's all be like Jesus. They, but when they say that, it means let's be humble. Let's be kind. Let's be loving. Let's be caring, right? So, yeah, they, let's be like Jesus, right? But in the framework with this, with manifested sons of God, let's be like God. Let's have power. Let's conquer the earth. Let's, let's do great, you know, things. Let's pull down governments. Let's, let's go to war, you know, spiritual warfare. Like this is when they say, let's be like God. It's, it's about power, right? As opposed to love, right? And of course, you know, God has power, right? But the focus, the focus shifts from let's be like God in his kind, loving, attribute, nature ways to let's be like, let's be like God, the almighty power, you know, the, the focus is on the power as opposed to the divine nature. For our listeners who are helping to deprogram former members of the message cult and its various splinter groups, that's a key concept that you need to hone into because you'll be talking scripture and normal Christian teachings to members of this type of cult of personality and they'll be nodding their head and they'll say yeah i agree i hear you i and they'll even mention passages in the bible but when you say be like jesus <clears throat> that phrase is so overloaded that while you're thinking that they understand this means peace love your neighbor you know the, the attributes of christ they're thinking in something entirely different so you have to actually take it down a level you have to say and become more like christ and by extension, that means do this, this, and this. And you have to explain what each each thing that you take for granted in Christianity. You have to explain what it means to the message cult programmed mind. Yeah, you're, you're spot on. When you say be like Jesus in the message or in these latter rain splinter groups, it means it does not mean the first thought in their mind is, oh, let's love my neighbor. That is nowhere near... And it probably wouldn't even be in the top 10 of what they think that means. Let's be like Jesus, love my neighbor. No, it, it would be, you know, uh, these signs shall follow, uh, cast out devils, speak, right, speak in tongues, um, signs, wonders, miracles, right? This would fill out the top 10 list of what it means to be like Jesus, right? Yeah. Sadly, to be like Jesus in the message is more like be like Harry Potter, <laughs> be a sorcerer. <laughs> and like, yeah, Jesus did do miracles and all that, you know, that's all wonderful, but I don't want to preach sermon, John. <laughs> the focus of the gospel is 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 redeeming people, yeah. right? And it's it's about changing their nature more so than um, empowering them to be miniature gods to go around like sorcerers doing this, that, and the other, right? It's it's about changing people to make them decent human beings, right? I mean, that's what the gospel is about: making people to be decent people, right? Not turning them into power-hungry monsters like Jim Jones. You know, and what, what Jim Jones did here, and what all this does, John, this is a very good example of how the latter rain influenced preachers use these teachings, and they totally usurp the role of the Holy Spirit. Like, John, Jim Jones is a case study for this, right? They totally, the preachers who believe this stuff, 
They totally overstep the biblical role of a preacher, and they end up inserting themselves where Jesus and the Holy Spirit should be in the life of a believer. They go beyond just a preacher who likes to teach the Bible and offer encouragement and good advice, right? And they go into, they turn this into and become a power that totally controls the lives of their followers, right? You know, Jim Jones there in that quote, he said, follow me as I follow Christ. John, I, I heard that exact same thing many, many times. William Branham said that himself many times. And they take it very badly out of context. And they, they use these fivefold ministry teachings to literally insert themselves between you and God. That's exactly what they're doing. Like when they say, follow me as I follow Christ, they don't mean, hey, I'm a good example, you know, follow my good example. They're literally, they're inserting themselves between you and God. You follow me, and I will follow Christ, and I will tell you what Christ wants you to know, right? Like, this is what they do. And they end up totally destroying the the concept of a personal relationship with Christ. And, you know, I know where I come from, John. There is zero concept of a personal relationship. with. Did, did William Branham ever once mention personal relationship with Jesus? Ever once? I don't think he did. You know, there's a point in time, Charles, and I'm, I'm embarrassed to say this, but I think I've said it before on this show. I had never heard the gospel in its true form for the first 37 years of my life. It wasn't until after we left. I was in a new church, and they explained the gospel, and we've talked about this on the show. At that point in time, I'm still kind of researching. I had not fully started into the in-depth researching that I was, but I just wanted to know, did William Branham ever teach anything that resembled the gospel? And <clears throat> I will say that in the early years before, actually before, now that I'm thinking about it, before meeting Jim Jones, there was a point in time in which he was saying things that were very similar to other gospel preachers. Because remember, in the cult strategies, not just William Branham's, but every cult, there's a period of time when everybody's welcome. Join us, follow us as we follow Christ. Everybody's welcome. There, If your circles, if they draw you outside of my circle, I'll draw a bigger circle and draw you into it, is how William Branham said this. <clears throat> and so there are points in time in which he says some things that are similar to the gospel. Then in his later years after again, oddly, after meeting Jim Jones, this completely changes, and it's more a gospel of condemnation, if you will. And there are points in time in which he does mention a personal relationship with Christ, but if you study, if you read the whole section of the transcript of what he's saying, it's not the same as what is found in the Bible. It's not, be humble, be like Jesus, love your neighbor, at the point in time in which he's saying this, he's mixed into heavy condemnation, and being like Christ, having a personal relationship, is condemning the world around you who are going to hell, especially in the later versions of his stage persona. So there's a progression and a transition, I guess is what I'm trying to say, and it doesn't always look the same depending on which, which year and which stage, stage persona he's in, but also, even worse, depending on the state of his mental health, it becomes completely anti-biblical, I guess is the best way I could put it. Yeah. You know, I, I can say unequivocally that my entire life in the message, I never once heard the phrase personal relationship 
with Christ uttered from the lips of a message preacher ever. Ever. Not once. Not a single time. That is not a concept that was I ever heard from a, from a message preacher. And the message actually does not believe in that. The message does not truly believe in the ability of individuals really to have personal relationships um, with Christ, not not in any sort of a holistic way anyway, because the preacher is always inserted between the believer and Christ. And, and in the message, certainly where I come from, they did not believe the average person is qualified to read the Bible or hear from God and get understanding all on their own. Like if you, they, I mean, this would be said publicly. If you read the Bible and you have some idea that the preacher hasn't said, you better keep that to yourself. You know, like don't talk about it. This is not, this is, you do not have a right to read the Bible and understand something different than what the preacher has told you, right? Like this is, this is explicit, right? So there, there's no, no concept. It all has to come through the preacher. You're not allowed to read and get ideas from the Bible on your own about how, how to be as a human being. Here's an example of the way in which he uses the phrase personal relationship. He says a Christian is not a tool or some kind of mechanical wrench to a big religious regime, <laughs> That's right. A Christian is not some kind of a tool that keeps a religious organization moving. A Christian, that's not a Christian. A Christian is to be Christ-like, and a Christian cannot be a Christian until Christ comes in the man, the life of Christ in him, then it produces the life. The things that Christ did, and he says, what am I talking about? A personal relationship to Christ. So to a person who's indoctrinated with this and they play the tape and they hear the voice, they hear the phrase personal relationship with Christ, and they kind of ignore what he just said before this. What he said before is, do not be in any Christian denomination or you are not having a personal relationship with Christ. He's, he's literally taking personal relationship and combining it with condemnation of those who disagree with him. That becomes his personal relationship. There's other quotes you can find of William Branham. I'm just going to paraphrase this one from memory where he'll say, um, I've heard people say that when I have the Holy Ghost, I, the Holy Ghost will teach me what I need to know. And he'll say, now that's not right. You still need a preacher. You can't rely just on this Holy Ghost that you have to lead you into all truth, right? You've still got to be dependent on the preacher, right? And so he has quotes along that line, um, that that he said so he there there is no concept that you can get the holy ghost you can be a christian and you can rely directly on christ or the holy spirit you always have to filter it through your preacher right that is the teachings of the message and that is fivefold ministry teachings that blew stemmed out of um latter rain that and that is one of the great great terribleness things that 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 these teachings do they 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 empower the preacher in such a way that they can take control of people's lives and jim jones is not the only one who did this right this is what they use to get control of people right the shepherding movement did this large parts of the message do this the move did this the walk did this the body did this, right all of these other laterine splinter groups many many laterine splinter groups did this and just like Jim Jones says, um, I'm speaking to you in the person of Christ. The people end up looking at to the preacher as the voice of God. He tells you what God wants you to know. And the line between the preacher and God ends up totally blurred. 
And depending on how authoritarian the preacher is, you know, it ends up with preachers telling everyone how to think and act down to the smallest detail and controlling every single aspect of their life. And the teachings of the latter reign provided the framework to do all of this, right? It is the fivefold ministry teachings leading to manifested sons of God that enables this to happen. And this is what Jim Jones did at People's Temple, and it's what a large number of latter rain preachers did and are still doing with this ideology, John, to this very day. They are using this ideology to insert themselves between the Christian and Christ and, and control the followers. And they use subliminal messages and hints and even the titles like you've got the headquarters is called voice of god recordings and the publication company was pub spoken word publications not, not many people realize that jim jones used those phrases jim jones you know he was god's spoken word to his followers yeah let me let me just take a second john here and maybe help our listeners how this differs from historic Christianity, okay? So in historic Christianity, I'm talking about normal Protestant Christianity, you know, going back to, you know, the Reformation day. They viewed the fivefold ministers, which they didn't use that phrase, but they viewed what we would call the fivefold preachers in the message. They viewed them as gifts to the church. So the preacher was the gift to the church. And then the church got to decide what to do with their gift, right? If you give someone 20 bucks, they get to decide what to do with their 20 bucks. So they looked at these preachers as gifts. And then the church corporate decided what to do with their gift. They decided what to empower or not empower them to do. They decided where to send them, what to do with them, right? The church had control of the preacher, not the preacher have control of the church, right? That is historic, normal Christianity. The preacher was the gift to the church that the church then decided what to do with. This flips it on its head, right? Latter rain turns the preachers into, they, instead of gifts, they're offices now. And these are offices of authority and control. And so now these preachers control the church rather than the church control the preachers, right? And it completely changes the dynamic of um, what early Protestant Christianity do. And that's just a really simple little explanation but this this turns on its head and and people inside these movements what i just said is a concept that has probably never touched their minds they've never even heard the concept wait a minute they're a gift to the church and the church should control what <laughs> like the right their head exploded right but that is how historic normal christianity looked at it right yeah. there is an entirely different framework that is every bit as logical and perhaps more logical than this latter rain framework that operated for hundreds and thousands of years before, right? That that has its roots in these exact same scriptures, which are taken and interpreted an entirely different way within the framework of latter rain. So, anyways, I'll I'll digress there. <laughs> What's really interesting is the irony, <clears throat> because the Catholic Church, the, the word Catholic just simply means universal. The Church, the Church of God, the body of Christ is how it began. And over time, because of the human problem, which exists and will always exist, evil minds got involved, and it became more or less a destructive cult. And they were oppressing the people. They had turned into exactly what you just described. The priest became an authoritarian control and governed the people with authoritarian control. Martin Luther 
rose up in opposition and he he said this is not the way it is supposed to be this is not what's in the bible and so he creates the protestant reformation and they flip it upside down they have a reformation they clean this up and they set it back in order as it's supposed to be well what's interesting is during the clan reign in america and you know, as the Catholic Church is spreading throughout America, all of these Protestant ministers that had just escaped this opposed the Catholic Church because of, you know, Martin Luther's opposition and various other things. There were still some problems going on in the church. But where it gets ironic is what this Lateran ministry did, and especially this fivefold ministry hierarchy is it reestablished the the authoritarian control from which Martin Luther escaped from the Catholic Church. So they have literally reestablished the very thing that created the Protestant religion. They established it within the Protestant religion. Yeah, yeah you're exactly right, John. That is very well said. And for me personally, John, in this podcast, I'm not trying to advocate people you know, to accept one position or another. I, I, I mainly just want people to see there are there there is alternatives. This is the way it was historically viewed. This is what Lateran did. This is how Lateran changed. You know, do what you want to do with the Bible, right? <laughs> I know where I, I know what I'm I'm comfortable with nowadays. So anyways, how about uh, one more quote from Jim Jones on this topic um, and where he ties all this together. Jim Jones says on tape Q353 says, I swear to you, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. This is that which was and is to come. This is your salvation. You are looking at the temple of the Holy Ghost. You are looking at the body of Jesus Christ. Some in the room are sick and asleep because they don't discern the body of Christ. They don't understand the Godship degree. Jesus said, we are all gods, and I have come back to remind you what I told you 2,000 years ago. I am on the scene to tell you ye are gods, and not to take it away won't let you take it away. So don't be judges of the fact that my people say, I am God. Jesus said ye are gods, ye are all gods. And again, this is the carrot on the stick that's being offered, right? Just like Eve, God, you know what the serpent said? You will be like God, right? This is the carrot on the stick. Just listen to me, right? And Eve ate it up, and, and People's Temple ate it up, right? And the people where we come from eat it up. We're going to be like God, you know, in this way that we're never supposed to meant to be like God, right? And William Branham taught all this same stuff, right? The the preachers in our sect taught it, John. Uh, John, I'm a former message preacher. I used to teach this stuff myself. I, I know exactly what I'm talking about, right? And... Jim Jones represents the radical extreme to which these manifested sons of God ideas can be taken, right? And this is the extreme end of of what being like Jesus can mean in latter rain. Jim Jones represents the extreme end of what latter rain can do with these be like Jesus ideas. And it gets to the point where some people get to the point that they literally believe they are operating as God Almighty. And, you know, when you combine that with someone who's mentally unstable like Jim Jones, I mean, God have mercy, John. You see what happened. What What's real interesting, Charles, you have just described 
the actual biblical trail of the serpent. And <laughs> it's funny to people who weren't in the cult of personality. William Branham was supposed to come back and preach a sermon that he had entitled The Trail of the Serpent. And if you study what he did and what he achieved and the ye are gods, he's literally, his ministry is the trail of the serpent. It, there's no question about it in my mind. But it is, what he's established is unfortunately the framework that has been used not just for Jim Jones, but we have on record, we have several similar types of communes. And one of the questions I had, Charles, before I got deep into the Jim Jones research was, it was Jonestown the only message cult Lateran-inspired commune? And I found others. I honestly, I, I had some hints at knowing that Gene Goad and Leo Mercer, who were William Branham's, um, you know, scribes, if you will, carrying, copying and recording the tapes, I knew that they had set up some kind of a trailer park. I did not realize the depth of which it resembled Jonestown, Guyana. It was in Prescott, Arizona. William Branham visited this and gave his blessing. He called it Little Goshen. And those of you who know the Bible know the symbolic meaning of Goshen, right? So it's a very destructive framework. It not only created these communes, but look on the broader scale as it extends into the New Apostolic Reformation. Now we see this militant style of Christianity that is emerging because they have taken this trail of the serpent, the single concept that you can become like God. And it is exactly what the serpent in the Bible was enticing, the, the evil one, right? The one, the one that the entire Bible has written, do not be like this. That's what these latter rain, new apostolic reformation churches, they're teaching the people. Yeah. So John, it's something else to me, how, how Jim Jones implemented all of this stuff. And what's, what is, what is honestly very frightening. If, if you're, if you are an honest person and you sit and you look through, I just read three or four little excerpts here from Jim Jones sermons. If you just honestly will sit down and listen to Jim Jones sermons, he is preaching fivefold ministry and what you call where I come we would call it maybe perfecting of the saints other people call it stature of the perfect man he's preaching the exact same perfectionism ideas that are taught in the message basically which which globally you could call it manifested sons of god right so so he is teaching manifested sons of god he's teaching these fivefold ministry and this is very very clearly the way in which he empowered himself over the people and and ultimately got them to be totally dependent on him. There's a few other things we're going to have to talk about. I think this episode, we're coming to, uh, running out of time, so we'll have to get some more in the next episode. But this is clearly, this framework of latter rain leadership is how he got control of his people. And we see it repeated over and over again with multiple other latter rain groups. And Jim Jones here, it he is a case study example of the extreme end of what latter rain can produce um and it 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 frightens me a little bit i'll be honest john i have i am i'm worried and concerned for people who are inside the message because there are people in the message preaching the exact same stuff here that we've read from jim jones 
who I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, John, are, are, they've got some problems upstairs, too, right? And some of them are also sadistic monsters. I gotta say it, John, I know message preachers. There are some message preachers who are, I'm telling you right now, they are some sadistic monsters in there. Um, and, you know, if you want to go to my website, christiangospelchurch.org, and, and, and read why I left the message, I left because our because of deaths that were happening. That would play a role into me leaving deaths that were happening. I'll leave it at that. Um, there are dangerous things going on in the message today. And there are a lot of people on the edge of some very radical things. And the end-time teachings of the message leave the people susceptible to very, very dangerous things. And there are people in there, I am very much afraid, are totally capable of, of pushing people over the edge into dangerous things, John. I, I very much am scared for some of the people in the message. It's very serious. <clears throat> and, Charles, you know me well enough now to know that whenever— I am on a very serious, very scary, very troubling topic. I try to balance it with something fun so that so that people aren't overwhelmed. And <laughs> throughout this whole episode, I've been thinking, how can I end this? Because what I have to say to wrap this up is so troubling that, honestly, I lose sleep over it, Charles. It's, it's very, very terrifying to me very terrifying and uh, honestly i don't know how to wrap it up without without just blatantly saying my fear for the people inside of these types of groups and i think so i can probably add maybe i can add a joke or something funny to balance it and make it that there was one of my first jobs that i had there's this guy in this office. I'm kind of a prankster. You know this by now, Charles. And his desk, you, you walk into his office and his desk faced you and his computer monitor and everything's here. We, a friend of mine and I, we started staying late every single night, I want to say for six months, to pull off the ultimate prank. And every single night for six months, we moved his desk one millimeter closer to the wall. So that over the course of six months, he never noticed his desk moving. But, you know, after about four months, he's saying, you know, I feel like I'm I really need to lose weight. I'm getting overweight. I feel almost feel claustrophobic in my office. And it is it, it was probably an awful thing that I did, but it was incredibly funny because by the end of it, I finally told him, look, we've been moving your desk. And he's like, what have you guys done to me? At least now I'm in shape. He started working out. But apply that to what is happening in these cults. Since I've left the cult, I've not been, I've not been actively manipulated by their doctrine. At the same time, I have listened to some of the sermons and the progression of where it began into destructive theology is exponentially increasing, not just gradually, not just in a linear fashion. It is exponentially increasing towards destructive. It is moving gradually, Sunday by Sunday, Wednesday. You know, these people go threes, four, sometimes five times a week. So the people who are being indoctrinated and manipulated don't see the progression, like the guy in the desk. He did not notice the desk was moving. 
but it is progressing in such a way that the cult leaders are manipulating the people into fear. Fear causes a whole lot of problems, as you know. When people went to Jonestown, they were in fear. They were in fear of the impending doom of the United States, the destruction of the United States. That was a Lateran teaching. They were in fear of the communist rising and the war between communists. And, you know, even though Jim Jones kind of sided with the communist, he is expecting this war to come. And look at the events that are happening today. When Jones moved there, there was a communist fear. In fact, we're going to get into it in future episodes, but even in South America where he's at, the United States States is at war with communism in South America. So he's in the midst of all of this. Everybody's encamped around this fear and fear will make you go to extremes that you would not otherwise go to the extent that they drank cyanide lace, uh, cyanide lace Kool-Aid and they all committed mass suicide. If you take a look into the churches today that are still in this framework and just look at what the leaders are saying, doing, and scaring the people, Charles, it is terrifying to me. It's not funny. I, you know, even though I try to balance it, it's, it is absolutely terrifying what they are doing to the people. And then you combine that with the political events that are going on in the world today because they are unfortunately continuing the same path that Jim Jones took his people. It is very scary. But on, on a lighter note, this has been a fun investigation and we've got to kind of explore the theology, which we don't usually do, Charles. So I did enjoy doing this. And even though I'm, <laughs> I'm ending with this horrific thing that I just said, it, it was fun. And I'm going to be honest, the next episode will be more fun and more horrific. So we, we've got to somehow Come balance back next it. Time. <laughs> Come back next time for more fear. We're going to scare the heck out of you. So <laughs> if you enjoyed our show and you want more information, check us out on the web. You can find us at william-branham.org and christiangospelchurch.org. For an overview of the historical research of William Branham and the healing revivals, read Preacher Behind the White Hoods, a critical examination of William Branham and his message. Available on Amazon, Kindle, and Audible. Join us again next week. We've got a great episode coming.